Welcome everyone to Réponse Now. Réponse Now is a podcast responding to life's toughest questions. I'm your host, Chris Nolcentilis, uh, bringing to you the toughest questions of the day. How to read the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Uh, and its storyline divides into two main parts. Uh, there is chapter 1 to 11, uh, which tells the story of God and the whole world. Uh, and there is chapter 12 to 50, uh, which tells the story of God and one man, Abraham, and his family. However, uh, these two parts are connected by a hinge story at the beginning of chapter 12. Uh, it is designed to give a clue to how to understand the message of the book as a whole and how it introduces the story of the whole Bible. So the book begins with God taking the disorder and the darkness uh, described in the second sentence of the Bible. And God brings out of it order and beauty and goodness uh, and makes the world a place where life can flourish. Uh, then God makes these creatures called humans or Adam in Hebrew. Uh, he makes them in his image, which has to do with their role and purpose in God's world. Uh, so uh, the humans are made to be reflections of God's character into the world. And they are appointed as God's representative to rule the world on his behalf. A which in context, by the way, means to harness all its potential, to care for it uh, and make a place when uh, even more lives can flourish. God blesses the humans, which is the key word in this book. He, he gives them a garden like a place uh, from which they begin to start to, to build this new world. Uh, the key here is that the humans have a choice on how they are going to build this world represented by the true knowledge of the good and evil. Uh, until now, God has provided and defines what is good and what is not good. Uh, now, God is going to give the humans the dignity and the freedom of a choice. Uh, are they going to trust God's definition of good and evil? Or are they going to cease the autonomy to define good and evil for themselves? Uh, the stakes are really high. Because to rebel against God is to embrace death. Uh, and to embrace death is to, to be turning away from, from the giver of life himself. So in chapter 3, uh, a mysterious figure, a snake, uh, enters into the story. Uh, the snake is giving no introduction other than a creature that God made. Uh, it becomes clear that it's a creature in rebellion against God and it wants to lead the humans into rebellion against God. Uh, the snake tells a different story 
about the tree and the choice. Uh, it says that assessing the knowledge of good and evil are not going to bring death. And it's actually the way of life and becoming uh, more like God himself. The irony of this is tragic because we know the humans were already like God. Uh, they were made to reflect God's image. Uh, but instead of trusting God, the humans uh, says autonomy. Uh, they take the knowledge of good and evil for themselves. Uh, and uh, in an instant, uh, uh, the whole story spouts out of control. Uh, the first casualty is human's relationship. Uh, the men and the women simply realize how vulnerable they are. Now that uh, they cannot even trust each other anymore. So they may close and hide their bodies from one another. Uh, the second casualty is the intimacy between God and the humans is lost. Uh, so they go and run and hide from God. And when God finds them, uh, then they start this game of blaming each other about who we bear first. Right here, the story stops. Uh, then there is a series of short poems where God declares to the snake and then to the humans the tragic consequences of their actions. Uh, God first tells the snake that despite its appearance victory, it is destined for defeat. God promises that a seed or a descendant will come from the woman and is going to deliver a lethal strike uh, to the head of the snake which sounds like great news, uh, but this victory is, is going to come with a cost because the snake too will deliver a lethal strike uh, to the descendants here as it's been crushed. Uh, it's a very mysterious promise of this wounded victor. Uh, but in the flow of the story, keep in mind, so far, uh, you see uh, there is an act of God's grace. Uh, the humans, they just rebelled, right? Then what does God do? He promises to rescue them. Genesis 3.15 But this doesn't erase the consequences of the humans' decisions. So God informs them that now, every aspect of their lives, together at home and out on the field, is going to be filled with pain and grief because of their rebellion all leading to their death. From here, the story then spouts downward. Uh, chapter 3 through 11 traces the ripple effect of the human's rebellion and the human's relationship crash in every level. In chapter 4 uh, comes the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain was jealous of his brother that he wants to kill him. God warns him not to give in to that temptation, uh, but he does it anyway. Cain killed Abel out on the field. Uh, so Cain then goes on to build a city where violence and oppression reigns. Uh, it's all epitomized in the story of Lamech. He is the first man in the Bible that has more than one wife. And he's accumulating them like property. And then he goes on to sing a short song about how he is more violent 
and vengeful than Cain ever was. Hmm. After this, we get an old story about the sons of God in chapter 6, which could refer to evil angelic beings or it could refer to ancient kings who claim that they descended from God. Like Lamech, they acquire as many wives as they wanted and they produce the Nephilim, great warriors of all. Uh, whichever views is right. The point is that humans are, are building kingdoms and fill God's world with violence and more corruption. In response, we told that God broke into grief. Humanity ruined its good world and they ruined each other. So out of compassion to protect the goodness of this world, he washes it clean of humanity evil with a great flood. But he protects one blameless family, Noah and his family. And he commissions him as a new Adam to bring peace and divine blessing by going out into the world. So our hope is very high. But then Noah fails too. And also in a garden, he goes on and plants a vineyard. He gets drunk out of his mind and one of his sons, him, does something shameful to his father in the tent. So now we have a new Adam, naked and ashamed, just like the first. The downward spiral begins again. It all leads to the foundation of the city of Babylon. The people of ancient Mesopotamia, they come together around this new technology they call the brick. And they can make cities, towers, bigger and faster than anybody ever could. They want to build a new kind of tower in chapter 11 that will reach up to the gods and they will make a great name for themselves. It's an image of human rebellion and arrogance. It's like the rebellion in the garden all over again. Now God humbles the pride and scatters them all over the place. Now, uh, this is a diverse group of stories. But you can see they all explain the same basic idea. God keeps giving humans the chance to do the right thing with this world. But humans keep messing things up. Uh, the stories are making the claim that we live in a good world that we have turned bad. That we all have chosen to define good and evil for ourselves. So we all contribute to this world of brokenness, of broken relationship, leading to conflict, violence, and ultimately death. Even today, uh, we're still messing things up over and over and over again. But there is hope. God promised that one day, a descendant will come. The wounded victor who will defeat evil at its source. So despite humanity's evil, God is determined to bless and rescue this world. So the question, of course, is what is God going to do? I invite you to listen to my next podcast, which will address the story, What is God Going to Do?
But for now, that is how you read the book of Genesis and its context. Again, this is your host, Christnall Sentilis. Réponse now. Thank you for listening.